Good morning, Interweb. Bill reads out a spooky listener-submitted story. I ask if Halloween has lost its magic. Boy, I really hope not. Any cairn, those pesky companies are at it again, this time besmirching a woman called Yatera. Some artifacts you have follow-up, and then we round off proceedings with a long, some might say too long, nerdy ramble about music in worldbuilding. Also, next month is the annual Christmas quiz, so get your submissions in. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Bill, we're on episode 7 Do Episode 70, the 90... The 84th episode? Uh, sure, I can't convert from base 12 to base 10 on the fly very readily. Oh, it, it was 7 times... What's 7 times 12? Is that... That is, in fact, 84, correct? Yeah. 84 episodes. My God. Been going since, what, 2015? Oh. Something like that, yeah. Mentally. Yeah, I think the start of 2015. Absolutely insane. Um, so... Uh, we really, listeners, we really got this, you know, monumental milestone of an episode off to a great start. We spent about 10 minutes trying to sync audio. It was great crack. Uh, so here's hoping the rest of this recording <laughs> is going to be a little bit more auspicious than the start. Um, I have some quick, um, like, PSA style stuff to put at the start of the show, Bill, if that's okay. Podcast service announcements. Exactly. Uh, number one, um, we talked a few shows ago about uh, the Electro Neolithic. Um, like the whole idea that I was, I was toying with the idea of incorporating a sort of low tech culture in this setting that I'm building on the channel, but also giving them like little splashes of a modern moder- modernity with electricity, etc. And I asked people to like weigh in on like how feasible that sort of like technological mishmash was. Uh, I just want to say to people, like I got, I got the emails, I have read them, I'm processing them. I'm not really going to read them out and show because it's kind of stuff for me to study on my own so but your messages have been received and thank you very very much um and keep them coming right if if any sort of expertise in how electricity works and how a neolithic style culture um uh may be able to incorporate it see few past episodes um do keep emails coming all right excellent yeah okay please do point one uh point two um, we had mentioned ages ago that Jade City was a book that we were going to read and review. So as a little roadmap for people, um, we are not doing that today. We're recording a normal episode today. The next episode we record will be the Christmas pub quiz episode with all the gang. And then I'm thinking thereafter, the first episode in the new year, we might make that a Jade City episode. Um, cool. Purely because, you know, people over christmas if you know you can get yourself the book and use that time to read the book and then we'll talk about it later i think it kind of mm-hmm. works logistically well that way and we haven't read a fiction in in a while in a while yeah aside from your fiction um yes exactly uh so yeah we're, let's do that um speaking of the christmas pub quiz, uh, quiz point number three that is a thing it is happening next month wonderful uh if you would like to send in any questions um, please feel free to do so. You can email us. Contact details are in the description of the show. Um, the deadline for submissions I'm going to set as the first of December. If we get stuff after the first of first of, uh, of December, 
I think I said September there. December. I think you said December. Oh, did I? Okay. I think you said December. December. Uh, the the If we get anything after the 1st of December, it's not going to be able to make it in the show because it'll conflict, conflict with the recording time. So you have from the release of this podcast to the 1st of December to email in us a, um, a quiz suggestion. If you want, you can just like write it out in an email. That's fine. Ideally, though, I'd like to get recordings from like actual recordings from people of people reading out the questions. Um, it's just more fun and entertaining that way. Um, avoid multiple choice questions because they're not as fun as straight up questions. And uh, if you're recording, uh, leave a significant gap between the asking of the question and the answer so I don't spoil it for myself when I'm reviewing the questions. Um, and that, I think, is about it. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah, or you can send it as, as two audio files. Uh, one audio file is slightly easier, otherwise we have a mess okay. of audio files. It, like, honestly, it doesn't really matter um, as as long as, you know, you, you don't spoil me when I'm reviewing. You, dear yeah. listener, don't spoil me when I'm reviewing the questions. Um, so yeah, Contact details in the show notes, deadline 1st of December. Okay? Excellent. Cool. And final PSA. This is directed directly at you, Bill. It's not even a PSA. This is more of a request. Um, Avatar 2, everyone's favorite fictional fantasy, uh, is uh, or the latest installment in everyone's favorite fictional fantasy, um, is coming out mid-December sometime. Okay. Um, I would like to... Uh, watch this movie and talk about it because I've mentioned before I think it's probably going to be an utter car crash and sometimes <laughs> utter car crashes can be very very fun um, and so I, in the spirit of the old Star Wars episodes we did how about you and I go to a cinema in meat space watch this and then we'll do a review episode uh, on it yeah if, if I can find a, a schedule for that yeah, we'll 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 work if if we can work the dates, let's make yeah. it happen. Um and we might, dear listeners, we might roll in the Avatar review in the Jade City podcast. So like first half is talking about Avatar, second half is talking about Jade City. It might be a standalone thing, all depends on the scheduling. But like ideally I think that that's what I would like to uh like to do. Cool. Cool. All right. Those are my PSAs. Bill, follow up. Have you got anything? Uh we got an email from Oscar Keen who uh, addressed a question to me about um, Yar to Yartlin and what Yar is up to these days. So in the, not the most recent episode, but the, the episode before that, um, we our latest update from Yar's exploits was that he was acting as a sort of an, an independent captain under the Tamar Company um, after some deaths in his family he became a contract captain as the term is mm -hmm. uh, where he owns his own ship uh, but is still working uh, kind of with the Tamar company um, the question here is on the legal status of Yarte Yartlin what is the standard for a company captain do they own and could feasibly sell their ship or is their equipment company property does this change from company to company or is this a standard part of all Abeski legalese um, so in general, the, the vessels are owned by the companies, mm. you know, like when you're, uh, uh, in, in a, some, you know, a, a trading company, 
in real life or when you're in a navy in real life, the captains aren't usually the owners. They're owned by the the overall organization. Mm. Um, so a regular Abeski uh, or Tamari captain could not own their own ship or does not own their own ship. They couldn't feasibly sell it. Um, in Yar's case, he raised that financing independently. So he is kind of nominally the owner. Um, but there's there are there's stakes in it from other people. So he could probably try and sell his own ship, but if he did that, his investors would probably have him murdered um, for not providing a good return. Oh, sure. Could he not just pay the investors back? But he would probably not make a profit, uh, you know. So. Yeah, which would be what they'd be expecting. You know, they, they, they invested in him to get a profit and to achieve a political aim. Sure, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah, he is the owner of his ship nominally, but standard practice is that the captains do not own their ships. Yeah, or at least I don't know whether he himself personally is, but it's not owned by the by the company. It's privately owned outside of the company. He has at least some financial stake in it. Um, Mm -hmm. But in general, uh, an Abeski company owns the ship, and the captain is just employed by them. It's like Yar is a VC backed douchebag. You know what, Edgar? What? It's extremely like that. Is it really? <laughs> oh God! What an awful human being. <laughs> 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 um. Cool. All right. Updates on Yar. Um. I have an email. Mm-hmm. Uh. This one comes from Jamie Gilson. Uh. And in the last show, we had a whole like tangent about fig newtons and how Mm -hmm. we call them fig rolls and then they're called fig newtons or newtons i can't remember the exact term um in the states and then uh that got us to ask why are they called that and apparently they come from a town called newton and i I don't really remember but i think i said something like uh if someone should go out and take a picture of themselves holding a fig newton under a fig tree in newton the town (laughs) and like I see, this is a very small podcast, right? Like there's, I'd say, I, I don't know the exact figures, but I reckon there's like no more than a few hundred people who watch, who listen to these um, at max. And I'm like, no one's actually going to do that. But lo and behold, Jamie Gilson steps up to the plate and Jamie says, uh, as per Edgar's request on the live chat of the last show, I took some photos of me with a fig Newton right next to a sign marking the entrance to Newton. I don't believe that there are any fig trees left within the town borders, so unfortunately such a tree does not feature in the photos. Also, not featuring is the Dunkin' Donuts medium iced coffee, brackets, another local delicacy, delicacy that I had with me. And they include a picture of themselves holding the fig Newton. So that picture is now chapter art. Uh, links in the show notes. Uh, go check it out. It's wonderful. I just, th- this is the sort of like silliness that I really enjoy. This is really great. That's fantastic. Those are great photos. Thank you very much, Jamie. And I also have a, I have, I have a small point. I wonder about this, not to turn this into the Newton podcast, but it says on the sign, welcome to Newton, the garden city. Um, mm-hmm. Now I know that there's like, isn't there a state in this, a state in the States that co- that's called the garden state? New Jersey. New Jersey. Is Newton in New Jersey? No, it's in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, so I, I know it could be used that way, but I also know that like a garden city is like a uh, an urbanism term. 
Like it's it's a type of uh, way of um, building an urban environment. Right. I, I can't remember. I think this came around the mid last century and there's a whole idea of like, like neo-urbanism trying to create like a, a more um, thoughtful space for human to, humans to live. And I, th- I believe it's called the Garden City. So my, my, my thought here is, I wonder, is Newton a Garden City? Like in the, in the uh, urban planning sort of sense. Um, mm. I don't know the answer to that, but it's just something that popped into my head when I saw Garden City because it means two different things. Um, that that phrase, and I'm intrigued. Uh, but yes, thank you. Jim. I'm not seeing it on list of garden cities on Wikipedia. Mm. Okay, I'm going to do a quick googling. Hold on. Yeah, because they are Canberra is a garden city. Wow. And um, because yeah, Canberra is very green, I think. Yeah, they do tend to be called like I've here Lechworth Garden City. Oh God, what is that? Well, Wellwin, Wellwin Garden City. Um, they tend to be kind of called garden city, but. Uh, Oh, Sunnyside Gardens. That's cute. Um, so I guess Newton is a, a, a garden city in the, st- in the same sense mass- that uh, New Jersey is a garden state. Um, yeah, okay. Cool, just a thought that popped in. Um, any more emails, Bill? We have another one from Iana Kellam. I hope I am pronouncing that right, Iana. Yeah, I'd, it could be palatalized L, so like Iana. It's, no, it specifies that it's not an L uh-huh. in the email. Oh, does it? Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, yep. this, this person is a uh, patron of the main show as well. God, that's terrible because I've been calling them Liana uh, for ages now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would like to clarify my name. My name, Liana, starts with a capital I, not lowercase L. Damn it. <laughs> How did we even... Iana? Yeah, I guess Iana. Iana Kalam. Iana, um, yeah. I guess so. so. What, what has Iana got to say? Um, I really enjoy listening to you guys' stories and ideas, and I really like the world-building part. Oh, thank you very much. Question, though. Have you ever written yourselves into your stories? It would be really cool if Bill could somehow create two characters that are sort of based on you both. Will you make yourselves a civilian, a hero, or maybe a villain? Um, you could change the names, of course. It would be fun if you could write it in a way where it would leave us guessing. Uh, I have never done that. Um, I would be... First of all, worried that I would uh, just, like, make a kind of a weird Mary Sue character that would just be kind of annoying and not interesting for other people and kind of cringy. Um, are you saying, are you saying, Bill, that if you were to create a character based on me, they would be Mary Sue because you, you like me so much that you present me in the best possible light? Obviously, bro. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> bro, bro. You know I love you. <laughs> love you too, man. Sorry, can I interject here real fast? Just the the I love you made me think of something. Um, Myself and the captain have this running gag that we do where we uh, um, say like terms of affection to one another in Korean. Uh, And for those who know about Korean, it has like different speech levels, like different uh, levels of formality. But to say I miss you in Korean, you say Pogo Shippoil. And that's in informal language. And it basically means like, uh, I want you. As in, you are not here. I miss you. I want you. Um, and that's how normal Koreans would, would use it. Because if you're, you know, if you're um, in a romantic relationship, you're going to use informal language. But we like to take the piss a little bit. And we use the, like, the, the I don't know if it's the highest level of deference, but it's up there. Uh, and we go, Pogo ship simnida. Uh, which is like 
super posh and formal and like if you ever read any blogs in korean about this they'd be like no one would ever say this and like you know and then they sort of go on to construct like hypothetical scenarios where, where you want to say i miss you but in a hyper formal language and the two of us just rock around the house shouting pogo ships in the at one another and it's very funny <laughs> It's You're so, awfully cute. It's so absurd. It's just so absurd. And if any Korean were to ever hear us, if we ever do go back to Korea, I want to like loudly and proudly proclaim that in the street and just watch everyone go like ignorant foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, anyway. So uh, you don't want to create a Mary Sue of me. Okay, cool. Um, but I guess there are examples of sort of similar things you could you could do. Um, there's, I mean, if you ever watched the TV show, uh, the Venture Brothers, that's essentially just made by two guys, and there's a lot of just two guy pairings among the characters in the show. There's two, like two guys that hang out all the, all the time, like they come in pairs very much. Um, so maybe there's less cringy ways to do it but yeah i'm not i'm not sure i'm 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 enough of a good character writer to get away with doing something like that i I mean i I think you know i don't want to i'll just talk about myself here not not you Mm -hmm. bill but like i i think we are just so boring and vanilla that like what are you going to do i'm just going to talk about myself we are boring I mean, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I guess I'll extend that a little bit further. I'd say just, like, we in general, like, most people are, like, kind of boring, you know? Um, And, like, you know, writing the story or uh, creating a character based on most IRL people, like, it's kind of dull. Like, I get up in the morning, I have breakfast, I begin work, and then I watch telly at night and go to bed. And it's, like, that doesn't make for a very interesting character. And I I would try to, when I read this email, I tried to think, like, what would an Edgar analog be? In a, in a fantasy world, like, I just, I can't. A scholar entertainer. Well, no, see, the thing is, well, maybe an entertainer, yeah. Uh, someone who talks really fast for a living. Um, <laughs> like a circus sideshow sort of yeah. thing. Come see this guy talk at like 300 words a minute. Um, I think with you, it's 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 easy, uh, easier, much easier, because you give off shock and like, I'm an academic vibes. So I could just totally write you as some sort of like scholar, uh, dude in like ministerial library sort of jazz, but like I wouldn't know what to do with me. Like, but should I not be a bard? <sighs> I mean, maybe, but less less that you're out there playing in taverns and more that you'd be teaching music. The scholar okay. thing, you emanate scholar, man. You really do. <laughs> I, I don't know how, but thank you. <laughs> definitely, definitely do, definitely do. Um, but I, I think I agree. I think I, I would have, I, I would generally have no compulsion to ever reflect myself in anything I do. Um, because, yeah, much like what you're saying, it can turn into shock and cringe, shock and fast. Um, and I'd be much more comfortable doing that with others, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if there's, a, if there's a cat in my fantasy world, I'll make it be like my cat. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. What's your cat called, Edgar? Uh, my cat's called Duck. 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 That's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's absolutely- can you put a picture of your cat as album art? Uh, I can. I cool. can. I, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm actually also going to include because uh, m- much like most your cat people, with a figure roll. Oh, <gasps> Don. 
<laughs> that's got to be in the album. Like, I'm going to rest. Sorry, I, in- I interrupted you there with no, no, my still- excellent idea. What were you going to say? No, no, back up. The excellent idea. I am going to put a fig roll on my cat's head. My cat hates when I put stuff on their head. It's hilarious. I'm constantly balancing remotes on their head and they're just like stupid human. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, much like most people, my cat is actually pretty dull and boring. Like it's lovely, but doesn't really get up to much. My my brother's cat, uh, who's called Wednesday after the Neil Gaiman character. Um, well, technically his full name is Mr. Wednesday. Uh, and he is literally a character. Like he is a crazy cat and part of me wants to just shoehorn a picture of him in instead because i have some golden pictures of that cat just being completely stupid like completely daft uh whereas my cat is like quite sensible um <laughs> so listeners there may be various cats in in chapter art at this stage go check it out i do um, something similar with with my dog uh, as to, to balancing stuff on her she um we used to do this trick where I'd, I'd put like treat. She'd she'd lie down or kind of mm-hmm. you know lay down on the ground, um, on her belly, and I'd put treats on her on her paws and on her nose, and like make her wait before she was allowed to have them, um, and she was very very good and very very patient, and like I got like more elaborate with it, so I put her favorite toy on her back, and I have this great photo of her like glaring at me, just like totally done with my shit, um, <laughs> waiting for me to allow her to take her toy. But I see, I would have always thought that with dogs, they'd be like, this is a fun game me and the human are doing. Whereas you do the same thing with a cat and the cat has no interest in your nonsense ever. Like at no point ever do they go, we're playing together. It's like, get out of my house, human. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you here? Uh, Anyhow, anyhow, anyhow. Oh my God. Cat tangent. Um, So that was uh, Iana's uh, email. Uh, you have a final thing, correct? I do, yes. Do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so last episode, uh, because I'd written a sort of a spooky one for Halloween, uh, you asked listeners to submit any of their uh, spooky stories. Um, and we got a few, but there's one that I'd, I'd like to read out here. This is from Reddit, from Rick Jensen, uh, a, a frequent... Uh, commenter and contributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just get straight into it. This is, um, they say it's written loosely as a log from a Ministry of Orientation survey expedition to the Creeping Green, known more formally as the Briophytic Coast, an area just beyond the known and attested lands. Ooh, already creepy. A great city on a coast of great cities. Around each corner, towers that dwarf even the spire of Mir. Butchered viaducts fly overhead, but silent, the city's abandoned for quite some time. Each surface is coated in moss, like a shroud over an entire nation. No bones remain. Things lay where they were dropped. No animals or birds have been seen or heard since the expedition arrived. Their harbours are choked with partial wrecks of ships and piers. Roofs have collapsed in places. All layered in the rich, dark green moss. Stairs and walkways are slick with it, but it is easily kicked away. 
The expedition rounded the Cape and sailed the coast for a few days, passing shrouded silent cities every few hours, each larger than the one before. The coast is forested river valleys, and the forests now encroach on the silent cities. Moss covers the ground even there and shrouds the trunks. The cities farthest along the coast sport a fence of great stone statues, slick and black, untouched by the moss save their granite plinths. All face up the valleys toward the forest. At night, the howling is like wind. It comes from the night forest, low and in every direction. It starts as soon as the last light disappears over the sea. It's driving the men mad. We see no sign of animals by day. Hunting and scouting parties always return by dusk, but each morning we seem to be a few men fewer. Oh, that's really great. Yeah, that's good. I really enjoyed that. I, um, as you're reading there, I was kind of like, oh, I like this. This is like the horror of empty spaces. And mm. it, like, there's no, like, bad guy. And it reminds me sort of, I can't think of the exact subreddit, but there's one subreddit I see sometimes on my feed where it's people posting a load of, like, big empty spaces and it triggers a sort of, like, um, a spine chilling effect. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember. If I can find a subreddit, I'll put it in the um, in in the show notes. But I can't remember the exact name. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. They're kind of going for this sort of effect. But then at the end, much like Bill circa like 2018, there's the one line at the end that makes you go, oh, snap. <laughs> um, and that's cool. Like there's, and I really, I really enjoy, I really enjoy when things aren't uh, described and it left up to, um, your imagination because your imagination will always make things way worse than it actually is so i'm glad that brett Jensen didn't be like and then we saw the great black wolf with its teeth and i'm like oh yeah God, it's cool that like we don't know what this is and that makes it all the more sinister and creepy so that's that's a cool that is a very cool halloween story i like that I'm trying to find that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't okay. know what, I don't know what it is. There's a bunch of those kind of uh, like trigger fear responses Reddits that I kind of enjoy. Like um, tassophobia is another one. Oh, um, fear of the sea. Yeah, and it's just pictures of the open ocean. And like, I, mm. I'm not scared of the ocean. Like, it's fine. Um, I am no more scared of it than I am of any other water. But just something in the way that these are shot, these pictures are shot and edited, it just like maximally triggers anxiety. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like people who enjoy horror films, you you go it for the sort of the rush of feeling, the adrenaline of feeling a bit bit uh, perturbed. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'll, again, I'll see if I can find the Reddit. Please don't search now. We have a show to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Halloween, did you get up to anything fun on Halloween before we crack into the main room? I did not. I um, I didn't really have time to to because I was traveling like the week before and I was only back a few days beforehand, um, and I I didn't have anything to attend, so I didn't get a chance to to put a costume together. But I did I did my shopping earlier that day, and um, as I was as I was in Aldi, there was a a Helles Lager for sale, which was just called Hell. So I was like, ah. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink the hell beer on Halloween. Why not? So I, I 
I drank my Hellas Lager. That was about it. Without turning this into a big massive discussion, because again, we have a show to do, um, I think Halloween is losing its magic. And that makes me a little bit sad. Now, For you or generally? See, this is the thing I'm about to say. Um, certainly in my area, so not just personally for me, but like in my surroundings, but it may not mm-hmm. be, you know, the broader world. But um, like trick-or-treating, it, it was trick-or-treating was such a staple part of like my childhood. And mm-hmm. it was like this mad adventure because we live in, uh, I grew up in rural Ireland. And so like I only have like uh, three or four neighbors that you could walk to the rest you have to drive to so everyone had to get like barreled into a car and we drive miles and miles to like you know take in the entirety of this the surrounding population for trick-or-treating and it was this like epic big quest you know and it was so cool and we haven't had trick-or-treaters here for years years and years like i cannot remember the last time um we've had trick-or-treaters and every year we buy sweets and I'm always left with a sense of sadness that no one came to the door. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, we don't live in the town per se. Maybe the idea of like trick-or-treating via car is gone out of fashion, but I was talking to my brother about it and he lives in the heart of the town. Easy walking distance to any of the estates that have like, they're teeming with children. And he's like, Mm. no, we never get trick-or-treaters either. And it's like, I really don't want to see that tradition going away if it is going away. Mm. It, that's really up, that's really upsetting because, you know, be a kid, dress up, do funny things for the neighbors. And it's just, it's such a lovely vibe. Like Halloween's a great holiday. And I just, I, I really hate to see it diminished, you know? Yeah, I, w- I would be sad as well. Um, do you get trick-or-treaters? Uh, well, I live in an apartment building at the moment. So, no. Um, you can still trick or treat, Bill. Next year, you need to go trick or treating in your apartment building. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> you can come with me. Yeah, um, I will. I could relive my childhood. That'd be great. We'll, we'll dress up as our as our uh, self insert characters. Yes, precisely. So you're gonna um, you're gonna come dressed as you usually dress because you look like you're straight out of V Karen. So I'll have to do the the the, the load here. <laughs> um. And where, where, like my family home, there aren't really any kids around there anymore. But I teach a lot of kids, and a lot of them went trick or treating. So, okay, good, good. Um, yeah, because I don't, I don't want to see that go away. That's really lovely. It's a really, really lovely practice. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, follow up. Done. Question mark. Question. Follow up. Done. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, world billing. Engaged. World billing. Go. <laughs> Is it go? Okay. What do we got? We have a pamphlet, a handbill distributed in Ecairn. A handbill? Yeah, like a pamphlet, like a leaflet. Oh, I've never refer- heard it referred to as a handbill. Hmm. It's old-fashioned. Okay, cool. An account of the orator Yathara, her falsehoods and her crimes. The orator, known as Yathara, has preached across the Abesque, from Jikav to her alleged home city of Vilv. In her wake, 
agitation and strife has bubbled forth to disrupt the peace and prosperity of these great cities. But who is this agitator? Yathara claims to be from Vilv, yet the authors, possessed of no small familiarity with that great city, have not found any there who knew of her, neither in her youth nor as fellow workers. She preaches of justice and freedom for the workers and groundsfolk, but what does she know of labour and working conditions? In all her speeches, she never tells what her trade was before she set out to crash a besky society. The authors of this pamphlet can reveal that Yathara, far from being a humble Vilvan worker questing for justice for her fellow groundsfolk, is in fact a hypocrite, a subtle infiltrator fermenting agitation to disrupt the trade of the cities and the great companies that have made the Abeski a prosperous nation. Yathara was born indeed to a Vilvan mother, but by an Arthani father, she was raised on a stinking vessel of that nomadic nation, learning from the cradle not of industry and toil and honest trade, but of treachery, mendacious dealings and jealousy. Having spent the greater portion of her years aboard barges, she donned the guise of an Aveski only well into adulthood, and then only to pursue a plan of sabotage and dissent. In her tour of preaching her agitations to the groundsfolk, she travels not by airship. The sky, beloved of all Aveski, is not her path. All true Aveski, undeceived by the glamour of descent, recognise her beliefs as dangerous. Understanding this, she sticks to the ground in the waterways, knowing she will not be challenged, but instead receive aid from the disaffected and the hostile nations who share in her jealousy. Upon the sovereign decks of her fanny vessels, she is shielded from the bailiffs and constables and marines. In the deep forests, she is hidden from the sight of those vessels that protect our communities. We wrote of the strife to be found in the wake of this orator. When she spoke in Lansk, she provoked a riot against the bailiffs, wherein dozens were killed. In Mearsphere, a mob stormed the Lesian Tower and slaughtered another score of innocents. In Utvev, a fire claimed a company depot, though the docks and the Urthani fields were spared any such disaster. It is clear to all that Yathara is not a mere orator, preaching a creed of justice. The inescapable conclusion is that Yathara is a vile conspirator. Whether she is among the leaders of the agitators attempting to bring our nation to ruin, it cannot be said but she is certainly the most visible figure and the most dangerous. Don't let this agitator destroy us. Protect your family, protect your prosperity. If you know of agitation or conspiracy, tell your bailiffs and tell your bosses. Pamphlet anonymously distributed ahead of a labor rally in Mearsphere. This bill, this is mm -hmm. cool. Oh, thank you. Do you remember I talked about how, like, uh, when the good guys win out, I really don't want the good guys to be really good and to be grey and stuff. This mm -hmm. plays into this really well because this this Ethera, uh, how do you pronounce her name again? Yathara. Yathara uh, character 
is you can read this, well, at least I can read this this person as being, um, as being yeah, like a, a heroine or as being a villain quite easily, um, and that's really cool, and I really really enjoy that. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, that cool. response makes me think that I've misread that. Keep going. <laughs> that was my that was my point. You know, I res- okay. respond. What 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 what's with the hesitancy? Because for me, that's really obvious. Uh, I I was going for this being obviously very very biased propaganda. Oh yeah yeah sure sure but like um you can again you can just you can take the position that like if it's biased propaganda this person is a villain um mm-hmm. if it's not biased propaganda this person um is a hero like you can you can read it both ways depending on who you no the other way around sorry yeah the other way around but you yeah. can read it both yeah. ways depending on who you trust so you're not presenting a sort of very 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 cut and dry uh yathara is completely awesome it's up to you reader to decide who you uh trust in this situation and that's cool okay i think that's really cool Uh, but anyway sorry i'm breaking from the format thoughts summaries then i'll ask questions yeah, so that, I mean, there's, I think I think it's all fairly clear. Uh, Yathara was mentioned before um, in the the riot that happened in Lansk way back. That was kind of our first suggestion of the, the agitation and the labour movement. Um, Yathara spoke at that and that was kind of what caused the, the, the riots. Mm. Um, so we have heard that name before. Um, and this is a... Uh, pamphlet produced and printed uh, as a kind of a counter propaganda against the the labor agitation movement to discredit her mm-hmm. and by proxy uh, call the the entire movement into into suspicion. Sure, sure. All right, orator. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that term? Um, because I feel like you're using it as a noun and a title here. Um. Like, can one have a job description as an orator? Because you say here, like, at the bottom, you go, it is clear to all that Yatara is not a mere orator uh, preaching the creed of justice. Is this, like, a person who goes around and, like, calls out laws everywhere? Or is this just an adjective? It's, well, it's definitely a noun, but it's not, like, a formal position. It's just, like, she's known for speaking publicly. Okay, so she's a public speaker. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. Um... The, the Earthani, so, so if I got this correct, uh, it's like, she is, is she presenting to the world as an Abeski who's displeased with the way Abeski culture works? And then this pamphlet is like, we've uncovered the truth. She's actually not Abeski. She's actually Earthani. And hence, like, she's like this vile, um, hypocrite and conspirator. Uh, yeah, so she she is publicly she is uh, just an Abeski woman, right? Um, a, a groundsfolk. There is there is among people mixing, you know, ethnic and and national mixing. Um, so you know there there will be there will be people who have blood of other nations who are you know part Arthani or part whatever. Um, uh, and this this pamphlet is making the claim that she is in fact an Arthani, not uh, not a, an Abeski person, as she she presents herself to be. Oh, okay, and uh, do, they are making that claim. They, and do I take it then that this claim is perhaps spurious? Perhaps. 
Okay, because it, but even if it weren't, like, who cares? Do you know? Racists. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bigots. <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, that's fair. Uh, but like, <laughs> she can be a, a Erthani and go like, "What the Abeski are doing is incorrect." Um, but yes. yes, yeah, this this appeals to like, uh, dear populace, this person is an other. They can't be trusted. Um, exactly. Whereas yeah. if she's presented as an Abeski, then that represents a serious like intellectual threat, um, because one of your own is calling out the system. And that's mm-hmm. that's quite dangerous. Um, you, you were like, uh, Yatara was born indeed to a Vilvian mother. So she's a Besky on the mother side, I'm assuming. Uh, but by an Earthani father. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, I wonder about like um, uh, how, I guess, like culture is passed down. Uh, is there any sort of rules and regs in this culture? I'm reminded of, isn't it in Jewish culture that if your mother is Jewish you, the child, are a Jew. But if your father's Jewish, then you're not. It, like, passes down through the female line. Is it something like that? Uh, I don't know, but that sounds familiar. Uh, I've heard something to that effect before, yeah. So the question is, is something of that effect going on here? Like, is she... Um, is the fact that her father is an Erthani makes her, in the eyes of the general populace, more Erthani? Um, or, is it, or is it just, like, no one gives a crap? Um, I think what they're going for is that, like, she she's using this partial claim, like that her mother was Vilvan, um, as her in, um, but that she was raised as Arthani is the is the main thrust there. She she was raised uh, aboard vessels and things. Okay, okay. So the cool is, is is the more is the more relevant factor. Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. Um, in the next line, you were like, she was raised on a stinking vessel of that nomadic nation. Very, very um, considerate of others there. Uh, learning from the cradle, not of industry and toil and honest trade, but of treachery, mendacious dealings and jealousy. Mm. I, I do, there's kind of like, I read a bit of grind set into this. Do you know the term grind set? I unfortunately do. Yeah, and it feels a bit like that. It's like, you know, you're raised to think like you got to like work hard in industry mm. and capital, capital and toil and yeah. then, you know, that's a virtue. And it's 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 a bit it's a bit Protestant work ethic as well. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um and I just think that's really sad. Like these are obviously things that you, you know, one should do. One should work hard and one should be, you know, studious and diligent and things. But like that's not all that life is. Um and I think sometimes in the modern world, we all kind of, t- or a lot of people tend to kind of forget that. It's all about the grind set. And you suddenly, you're suddenly 80 and you realize you've been grinding your entire life and life's been terrible. Um, yep. There's more to life than just like trying to climb the capitalist ladder. Um, so yeah, that just, it just reminded me of that. Uh, and I do love the way they present the Urtani here. I just like their characteristics are treachery, uh, treachery, um, mendacious dealings and jealousy. Like, I'm going to work on the assumption that perhaps your thaddy have other uh, traits. Like, they value family. <laughs> they might, yeah. you know. <laughs> <it's> just, yeah. <laughs> they like boats. They like boats, um, but no, we focus on these sort of things. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and of course, like, uh, an Abeski uh, presenting honest trade, you know, when you know, there's a, a huge thing of just, you know, tricking other nations into exploitative um business arrangements and things yeah exactly yeah um, the companies do exactly exactly um the and then further down you were like all true abeski undeceived by the glamour of the scent recognize her beliefs as dangerous 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if this is deliberate, but I, I really enjoy that true Abeski um, because that really plays into, uh, you know, kind of racist sort of um, stereotypes. Like, I am a true Abeski. Um, and like just defining like what is a true mm. insert person here is just like a useless silly thing that any sensible person wouldn't even engage in like what is a true yeah. Irish person like that doesn't exist like a true Irish person um, but it's very useful for riding up the races so I feel like this anonymous um, the anonymous author that's a very deliberate use of words there I think um, yes yes true Obesky because it really does lean into that Um and then, and that it's 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 not just a, allegiance is based on more than than just uh, kind of ethnicity because race isn't a very strongly developed concept they they don't have it in in the same sense in this setting, um, but like you know the the to, to be an Abeski you you're, you're kind of your pro company, and so on yeah. you're, you know you, this is this is our national belief, sure sure. Um... Yeah, and that really plays into that. So that's cool. Just uh, that's really fun. The use of one word really drives home a lot of subtle meaning there, and that's really awesome. Um, and I guess the final thing on my end, unless I think of anything else in a second, is at the bottom pamphlet anonymously distributed ahead of Labour rally in Mearsphere. Mm-hmm. Any reason why it's anonymously distributed? Would this not be an opportunity for the the counter Yathara um, to step in? And be like the figurehead of of this anti uh, fomentation thing that's going on. Potentially, yeah, it could be. Um, maybe just, there isn't a single figure to do that yet. Okay. Um, but but maybe it's Yar and he's off busy doing something else. <laughs> maybe it's Yar. It's always Yar. Um. Um. But yeah. So th- this this was printed by uh, the Tamar Company. Okay. 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 So that yeah. that's why it's anonymous because. They don't really want to be saying the Tamar Company, do they? Or maybe, maybe um, not. Maybe they're, they're fine with that. I don't know. I, I, I think it's more of a, like, doing things at a slight remove. So, you know, or plausible deniability about it. It's just like, you know, th- this this will yeah. be mm-hmm. the fuel for the right kind of people who, who, are, who are open to hearing its message. Um, sure. But without it being, you know, like an official company statement or whatever. Yeah. I and mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess one final point. So, am I am I reading correctly that Yathara's methods are one? Oh, we're going to get banned from YouTube again for this. Uh, are uh, one of like violence? Could we talk before about like remember the whole thing about like violence versus non-violence as strategies? And we talked about Gandhi and you know his non-violence mm-hmm. worked in the context of there already being violence, etc. Um, her shtick here, I think, from what you've read, is that she's very much like violent action is what's needed like she, she doesn't come across as a pacifist correct that would be the implication of this document sure yeah whether or not we believe it to be true yeah, yeah. i would say it's not really the case okay so you so you think the actual state of affairs is that she's just out there like raising awareness telling people like you know don't cooperate but not telling people to go murder people yeah she's more probably like calling for strikes and things and maybe for resistance but not she's not you know, actually calling for uh, a mob to storm the Lesian Tower or for mm-hmm. the go murder the bailiffs or anything like that. Sure, sure. And is her effect as great as this pamphlet is 
leading uh, us to believe because they list a whole bunch of things like when she spoke in language she provoked a riot against the bailiffs in mere sphere a mob stomp stormed the tower and again i get that they're claiming this it may not be the actual case but they have a whole bunch yeah. of things where they're like she was responsible for this is is she that influential or are they just trying to uh quell someone who potentially has the ability to in the future become extremely influential she's definitely very influential um, but if you look back at uh, what actually happened in Lansk, I'm pretty sure that that was the the companies and the it was the companies that oh, provoked yeah. that that riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they are pretty much telling a straight lie there. Was it the same thing with the mob with the tower as well? I haven't named that before. I haven't I haven't discussed that that incident. Other than that was when uh, Yar's uh, father was killed. Oh, did we not? But I, did, I didn't name that at the time, but that's that's what that is. That's the, the Lesian Tower was where Yar's father and uncle were, were killed. Did we not have a uh, a piece of prose that you wrote where some dudes took over one of the spires? Was that called a tower? Uh, we did, yes. I haven't I haven't referred to that oh, here. Okay. That was Sorry. the the thing from the barricades, the Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something declaration on the barricades yeah sure okay so that's the whole so that, that's that happened afterwards that happened like a good while after the riot in lansk around the same time as the the, the mob in mearsphere mm-hmm. and then as well i suppose in otviev a fire claimed the company depot um i mean <laughs> they don't actually say that she did it but like they imply that yeah you know it could just be a fire like fires happen yeah um yeah sure yeah exactly. sometimes things burn <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah um i still i still hold to what i uh to to um the sentiment i opened up with like depending on who you choose to believe here this person can be a radically different character and that is cool mm-hmm. i think that's really yeah. cool um so so i enjoy that do you have plans i mean it's 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 pretty naked propaganda but it's not you know it has to be believable on some level for it to be uh functional yeah, and I think I think what makes it believable is probably the anonymous, anonymously distributed, because if this were distributed with with the Tamar companies or the companies written on it, that would f- feel more like an a, an official thing. Like this could be some dude who is just like angry at this person and is trying to like, um, you know, information warfare back against her, um. So that makes it feel a little bit more believable that it could just be a random person or set of people as opposed to like a, a, an official entity issuing this propaganda. Um, mm-hmm. For me, yeah. for me anyways. It makes it feel more kind of um, grassroots more, or something. That's the word. That is, God, Bill, okay. you really do have a, a gift for like, I waffle for like five minutes <laughs> when one when one word is needed to sum it up and then you just put it at the end and it's great. I can cut that whole part there. <laughs> wonderful um but any plans final thing on my end any plans for uh given that this yathera character is um influential any plans of developing uh her thread uh going forward because really really yar is the only character that we have or maybe i'm wrong but i feel like he's like a solid character in this in this setting that we've built up a backstory a continuous backstory um, too. And I wonder, would y- Yathara be worthy of, of getting the Yar treatment? Potentially, yeah. Hmm. Potentially. It would it would be... Um, it would be good, perhaps. Yeah, I think I do need a few more 
actual characters. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that, that the fact that you don't have a lot of like uh, long-standing characters kind of falls out of the the medium that this is in, like yeah. little little bits of writing from disparate people all around the place. But uh, yeah, I guess if you have with more people to hook onto, um, that's a cool thing, I think. Mm-hmm. And particularly on opposing sides here, which is which is yeah, which is also kind of dope. Um, have you got yeah? Because I I feel like I I. I... I feel like writing characters is a bit of a, a weakness, um, but I, I was happy with what I did with with Yar in in the last thing. You know that he you know, there was a progression in his character, there was a change in his character, so it's something I can probably feel a bit more confident on now. But also, like Bill, like I don't think anyone here is expecting you to be like you know a, a seasoned novelist here. You know, I know, but like still, I want to do stuff right. Yeah, yeah. I want to do stuff well, uh, rather. I I think if one does the stuff to the best of their ability, that's and then you know people can feed off that, you know, and that that's appreciated. Um, you don't have to be Stephen King here, you know. I'd rather not be. I'd rather not be. I didn't. Do you not like Stephen King? <laughs> not particularly. Oh, no. Do you not? He did. He had no. Without getting into it, because I don't want to talk about this, because it's just terrible but he did have a funny thing there with elon musk i thought he, he lay it he lay it the smack it down uh yeah no that, that, that was funny that was i mean i've I nothing nothing against him personally i think I'm, I'm sure he's a perfectly cool guy and a perfectly nice man I just, i've i've read a couple of his books and i feel he always kind of messes up the ending you know he doesn't know how to write good endings in, in my experience of reading them see that's that's i wouldn't have uh thought that because i have not finished uh any of his books <laughs> <laughs> like I've, you ended at the right time. Like yeah, that's maybe that's why I really enjoy uh, his writings. Like uh, the Dark Tower, I read the first Dark Tower book, but I uh, like in college I saw the mammoth tome that was whatever the seventh or eighth installment of it, and I was like, do you know what? I'm not willing to de- dedicate the rest of my life to reading this book. So just book one will do me, and I like book one. I thought it was fine, but maybe book one's quite good. But maybe he yeah. messes it up going forward. I don't know. But any case, any case, uh, closing points on your side. What have I missed? I think the only thing was that the yeah the Lesian Tower was the the event where the Teartlands were were killed. Um, <laughs> I want I want a sitcom called the Teartlands. <laughs> I want someone to write a team tune for the Teartlands. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> If only we knew musicians. If only. Um, no, I, I mean, I think I think that's kind of kind of it. Like, it's, as I said, it's 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 fairly it's fairly barefaced uh, propaganda, um, but I think it you know it's it's going to it's going to be um, effective for the people who who needs to be effective for the people who are already primed to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think we've got it all. Cool. All right. Um, have Have you been watching my stuff? Have you got questions to ask me? Um, because in, I don't know. The last couple of podcasts, I've kind of like I don't, I'm not really interested in talking about my stuff on the podcast, which is weird because the whole podcast is meant to exist to talk about my stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm just I've, over the years, I've become much more interested in you know uh, listener follow up and your world building. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have pertinent things to bring up, please do. The geology ones, uh, fine. I I think I got it all. The last one I kind of I skimmed through because I don't have G plates, so I just kind of followed the the progression of it. Um, I, all the theory kind of was in the previous one, um, mm. and it all sort of made sense. 
Um, I just have some question from the luminosity brightness kind of one, if I can remember what it was. Oh, Japers, that's going back a bit. Uh, yeah, but we haven't talked about it. <laughs> have we not? No. Wow, I'm, I'm finding it hard to keep track of because I'm now producing more stuff. So there's always yeah. more stuff. in. There's a number of things that come out in between recording sessions. So I find it hard to keep track of where we are. Um, there was something about distance from the inhabited planet to the other bodies in the system. Right? Right. And some part of the sheet. Is that correct? Uh, sure. That is, a, that, is, um, that is a thing that exists in nature. Well, you see, the thing is, in nature, it won't be static. And I, I wasn't clear to me whether the uh, whether the sheet accounted for that. What do you mean not? But be the fact that oops, sorry. because they're all moving, so like you know you're not you're not at a constant distance from the next planet in the system. Oh, hang on, you're talking about that that apparent size and brightness stuff. Yeah, to, yeah. To, so you, to measure the um, the brightnesses of the planets. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the sheet does take into account their distances. And so uh, you can enter in uh, various different like distances, uh, and the sheet will compute um, how bright they'll appear. <laughs> what? How bright they will be at that distance? You, did you just laugh manically? I think I, th- I think I mistook a, a gap in the like a, a a disruption to the call as comic timing on your part. <laughs> Yeah, because I was talking and I just hear this manic laughter. I'm like, what did I say that was so funny? Gas. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But yes, TLDR, the sheet does take into account uh, the, the movements of the planets and it will adjust brightness of the planets um, based on where they are in their orbit. To an extent, um, because I'm not sure if anyone cares about this, but uh, the the maths used to compute that is based on empirical evidence so like we look at the planets in our system and we come up with maths to describe that situation but the maths breaks down in certain locations like when venus for example is way too close to the sun uh, to be able to be viewed um mm-hmm. there are no maths to describe that situation we don't know how bright it would be because we can't see it ergo when you yeah. take that empirical stuff and apply it to uh, fantasy planets you're limited by where that maths came from and there's no kind of like law of, I guess, reflection that you can just yeah. do to figure it out, or at least not if you want to be accurate. You could do a crude thing and treat these planets as like mirrors or something like that. But if you want to actually treat them like real planets that have like knobbly surfaces and different albedos, etc., it's all empiricism. Uh, so there are holes in it, and that is just you know we're not advanced enough to know otherwise. Yeah, there's holes in it because there's also holes in the empirical data. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that kind of semi-answers my next question then, I think, because there was a thing where you said, like, the rocky planet was visible, um, but then a little while later it was like, oh, well, you can't see it because of its uh, relative position to the sun. So you're, you're calculating its visibility kind of as a standalone thing, and then the later thing was putting it in context in the actual system. Correct. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. I, I should state at this point, just to be absolutely sure, I'll link it in the show notes. We, we are talking about the apparent size and brightness sheet. I don't know if we... Did we explicitly mention that? Yes, I'm pretty sure oh, you, okay. you did. Grand, but I'll link it below so people can follow along. Why not say it again? Well, sure, I just did. I just did. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, you, 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 yeah, you compute it as a standalone thing, and then you go in context. Could you actually see it or whatever? Um, so yeah, 
that answer your questions? I'm pretty sure it does. That was moderately smooth. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, regarding the geology ones, I did get a little bit confused for a while when you were talking about erogeny. <laughs> because I, I kept hearing it as erogeny. Right. And I was like, well, it doesn't make not safe for work content. What's going on here? That's an uh, and then I remembered from having read the fifth season, um, Originy, and like the origins and such. And I was like, oh yeah, so that, that makes sense. That is a geological thing. Um, Wait, hold on. Yes, it did. Sorry, at the risk of again getting our podcast banned on YouTube, uh, what is erogeny? Like, you know, erogenous zones. Oh, that's what I kept mishearing it as. Orogeny. Oh, lol. I think, Phil, I think you're the only one. Uh, the only other comments I got on that was like, I never realized that was a real word. I thought Jemison made that up. Um, that's the only comments I got about this. No one, no one else was mishearing it. You have a dirty mind, Mr. Bill. Well, it, it's just, vowels are difficult. <laughs> they are. Vowels are awful. Vowels um, are very difficult. I hate vowels. Uh, particularly back and mid vowels they're awful there's a lot of lot of in the middle there i'm like Bleh. um but yeah yeah it is orogeny in the sense of like mountain creation and we've got that sorted <laughs> glad we do too <laughs> anything else no cool no i'm enjoying the series i'm looking forward to watching this develop i haven't i haven't implemented any of the the stuff myself i haven't had the time to sit down and plug my systems in um but maybe that will be a future world willing. I'm going to, I'm going to make everyone really mad. I'm going to show you spoilers for what's coming up just because it's so incredibly awesome. And I want you to see this. Uh, so just, like just me, just you, I'm sharing my screen oh. in a second. Uh, listeners, okay. listeners and viewers will get to see this eventually, but uh, this is what is going to happen. And I just, I am so in love with the fact that I found World Building Pastors blog. It is amazing and it has brought a whole new level of realism to my already pedantic uh, world building brain. Um, hold on a second. I need to set up crack here. Give me a minute. Okay, you should be able to see stuff now. Cool. All right, look at this, Bill. Look at this. Look at this. This is a fantasy. Oh, oh, neat. Oh my, look, It's a. this is a fantasy world. Look at this. Oh, neat. Isn't that like, and that's what the G plus G plates process will eventually yield when you do a full on thing. And that is modern world. A billion years cool. of simulation. Isn't it's just cool. ah, world building pasta has made my life. It is amazing. So cool. Um, so sorry listeners for the tease there. I just really wanted to show build this. I'm going to stop sharing. Yeah, okay? that's, that's, that's dope. Nicely done. That is so cool. And like, and it's, and it's the, the process, like while it's extremely tedious to like do and implement, like it's, I make no qualms about it. It's awful. <laughs> but like for that, again, you get the, like an animation of a billion years of mm -hmm. the physical history of a world. But also on top of that, you obviously get like hyper accurate mountain placement because again, you're, you're, you're simulating all of that. Um, but you also get to track uh, true various orogenic or uh, processes. You can track like mass extinction events. Um, so you can like pinpoint and be like, I know that like 200 million years ago on my planet, there can be a mass extinction happening because this type of uh, event occurred. Um, and so like the process of, of simulating this yields so much, it's ridiculous. And then also in terms of like life, 
Um, if you know that like two continents have been separated for X amount of time, you can make a good call when it comes to uh, speculative biology, like how how divergent evolution on both of those continents might be mm-hmm. based on how much time they're apart. And you just don't get that information if you're drawing on, you know, you're drawing a standard map. And it's just, oh, this is, I love this so much. It's so cool. Um, so anyway, so that was, that was me just exposing the virtues of World Building Pasta and his methodology. Go check World Building Pasta out, folks. Seriously, please do. And also, just a little plug here, go patronize them if at all you can. I, I, last time I checked, I believe they were making something like, I don't know, I think it was like 50 quid uh, on their Patreon. They deserve way, way more. Like they are re- writing basically a thesis uh, theses on realistic world building and no one is doing it as good as they are. It's it's insane. So read their blog and if you get value out of it, please do patronize them because like it's 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 insane. It's insane how good it is. Cool. Alright. Um a green room. Green room. Pretty quick green room here, I think. Um I would like to talk Famous to last words. you yeah, I know, right? Uh, I'd like to talk to you about uh, music notation systems. Mm-hmm. Um, in the context of, I guess, like creating them for a fictional world. Sure. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on just stuff I have to say. Um, this is probably going to get real music nerdy. So if, if you're not into this uh, sort of thing or like... Um, I don't know, I guess find the language a bit obtuse. You can duck out now. There's no further content after this. Because, um, yeah, I think this might get a bit a bit technical. Um, so let me... Th- the starting point is that I, I've seen a couple, not very many, but a couple of attempts at um, creating a musical culture um, in, in fiction beyond kind of like there's a bard singing in the corner, but actually trying to describe how the system works in terms of tuning systems, uh, in terms of like music theory, uh, music notation systems, etc. Mm-hmm. right? And again, it's a very, very small sample set, but I think, I think maybe people are thinking about this in a uh, wrong way uh, from my perspective. Obviously, there's no right and wrong here, uh, but just the way I think about things kind of jars what I think how people think about these things. Um, so I suppose, yeah, but let's start with the music notation stuff. Um, I think because, you know, coming up with a, a, a writing system for a conlang is a fun and popular thing to do. I think people, uh, tend to think that maybe the same thing applies to music, you know, like we have ways of notating music, and therefore, you know, if you're going to build a music culture, you should like notate the music and then people come up with like uh, a bunch of systems to, to notate the music. And I think that's fine. Like that's like, I mean, we do that. That's grand. Um, but I think that's a really like um, Western, uh, uh, I guess, art music sort of thing. Um, when I think most of the time music isn't notated uh, and for good reason. So do you agree with this so far? Before we get into the weeds about discussing it, sorry, I lost I lost the thread a little bit there. What's this? What's a specifically Western art music thing? Uh, music notation, or like a a dogmatic uh, um, sticking to uh, and venerating the musical notation system. 
Uh, yeah, I guess treating the the printed text with primacy, I would agree. Yeah. And there are plenty of music systems, like Irish folk music, for example, that you just don't write anything down ever. Like, it's purely an oral tradition. I don't know if that's true anymore, really. But sure. Well, yeah, but I think um, this leads into it. Like, um, I do know that Irish folk players, like, when they go to write down music, um, they will do so just using letter names. Like, they'll just write A, B, C, 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 D, A. They'll just that's their music notation system, um, or at least their their um, pragmatic expedient music notation system, um, and that serves the function of communicating the tune really well. Um, and I again I think that like the sort of like hyper notation system that you use in like Western art music is just like not really necessary for like most musics. And in fact, I think it hinders most things if you prescribe to that idea because you, you you kind of hinder the development of like a strong oral tradition of music and all the subtle nuances that that brings that is eradicated when one treats music notation with, with primacy. Yeah, I, 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 there are maybe like little things I would kind of clarify in that, but broadly, I think, yeah, you're, yeah, that's, that seems fair. So I think the point here about the world building context is that if you're, if you, dear listener, are like, I want to world build a musical tradition, um, of course, go and make a, an elaborate music notation system if you will. But I think just be aware that like many, many, many cultures function without a music notation system. And that's not a bug. That's a feature of those cultures. So don't be afraid to just go like, there is no music notation system. Yeah, um, I, I would say it's not... A requirement. Be aware that it's not a requirement to have a convincing musical culture. I mean, if you're going to try try and make a musical culture, you should make a convincing musical culture. Uh, It's not a requirement to have a notation system in order to have a convincing musical culture, is what I'm saying. Precisely, precisely. And I I just, I alliterate the point I made a second ago. I think having a uh, a very rigid um, music notation system like us is a hindrance, I think. Um, and because surely you must have experienced this in college where it's like, you know, you go to play a piece and like there's a dogmatic sort of um, attention to what the composer wants. Like the composer wrote here, Allegro. So like you don't do anything else but Allegro. And it's like you follow it. And obviously I'm, I'm being slightly reductive here, but you kind of follow it like almost like a code. You just implement the code as you go. Obviously there's expression, etc. But I think in, in traditions where music notation isn't uh, uh, important at all, you, you have wonderful things where you have like local uh, flavor on a tune. So like say everyone in, in a, like imagine a small island or whatever, everyone has a standard set of tunes that everyone kind of knows. But each locality, because they've learned, learned orally from one another and not in the written form, pick up and like uh, propagate like little inflections on how the thing is done. So you get these like unique little like subcultures within it that I think music notation eradicates. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's still, I mean, I don't want people to go away from this thinking that that means that classical music doesn't have room for innovation and no, no. thing. It's just, it's, it's according to a narrower scope. And, you know, like in, in, in theater, you, you you would very very seldom uh, deviate in any way from the precise text 
you know, the words don't change. Yeah. Um, but you can still do a lot with that. And I think, you know, it's it's the same in music. It's the same in even, you know, classical music, Western art music. You, you don't deviate from the notes, but there is still, you can do stuff with it, with the textures and the dynamics and things. Um, sure. I, wa- sure. I want to make that clear to anyone who's not familiar, who is listening to this, that it's, you know, it's not... <laughs> It's not a, a sterile, an entirely sterile um, art form. I I agree with that, and that's why I said like I'm being reductive here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's sure. there's obviously interpretive room. Like if you listen to two classical uh, players play the same piece mm. um, on the same instrument, it'll sound different. You yeah, because uh, each of these players are bringing their own thing to it. Um, so that's point one of notation systems point two of notation systems which goes back to Irish folk players just using letters of the alphabet Um, uh, again with western music notation uh, we tend to notate a lot in our notation system like we notate pitch we notate length of note we notate um, or we can notate how the note is to be executed is it like you know for those who know the terms like staccato marcato all of these sort of things. Uh, we notate the volume of the note. Like, there's a lot of notation going on. Tempo. Like, we really, like, hyper-notate. And again, that's not a given. Uh, and I think probably you shouldn't seek to emulate that um, just, you know, f- to make it different from Western art music. Um, you can get away with, like with the Irish folk music tradition, just notating the notes. And the rhythm is implied left up to common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the speed is implied. Um, you know, you could you could do the same, I suppose you could do the same thing for rhythm. Just notate the rhythm, but the pitch is implied because everyone knows the tune in this little village or whatever. Um, you don't have to, like, reinvent Western art music, and I think you shouldn't fall into the trap of reinventing Western art music's notation system mm-hmm. uh, when there are many, many other forms and those forms are not inferior for not doing all that Western art music does. It's just that, like, the musical culture will favor certain things if they are to notate, and that's go- notate them, and that's going to reflect in the notation system. Yes, yeah. B, the important thing here is kind of um, uh, criticality and, and reflexivity, maybe, that, like, the what is indicated in the notation system tells you something about what is valued in that musical culture. Correct. Um, And it's not always going to be the same things. And if you're going to make a notational system, you know, put some thought into that. So as you say, you're not just, not just re recreating um, Western art music. And I mean, we, we have examples of that, even using the staff notation. Like if you read a tune in a real book and listen to a recording of the head of a jazz tune, it's not going to be the same because it doesn't notate mm. swing. Um, the rhythms can often be very, very different from what's strictly notated. Sure. You know, so, yeah. and, and you know, that's what you say, that is implicit knowledge that is understood within the performance practice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I think you make an interesting point about, about what the, or I think both of us make an interesting point about what the culture values, but I think what they value can both be what's there and what's not in the notation system. Because you can think about, like, if they really value, say, uh, ornamentation, for example, um, they might choose to then notate that, like Mm -hmm. hyper-notate that ornamentation. 
uh, because they revalue it. Or conversely, and I think this is the case in Indian classical music, at least to a certain extent, but maybe someone correct me, um, how one ornaments a note and how one like approaches a note is hyper important. Uh, but that I don't think is notated anywhere. Um, actually, in fact, it almost definitely isn't because it's an improvisation sort of style. But that's still massively important to mm. them. But like, it's so important that it's not like written down. It's a thing that you learn through craft, you know? Yeah. So importance goes both ways. Like, it's if it's the assumed written, in the context of what you're playing that you know how to, how to do it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So like they almost they notate the more rudimentary things or you could imagine a culture notating the more rudimentary things and then the really important stuff has to be learned from like a master mm. and you need to put that on there. So importance can be both what's absent and what's not in the music system. It goes both ways. It's not like if it's important, it's got to be marked there. Um, and I think, again, that's where like our staff notation gives us a false impression of what's going on because... Like, clearly all this stuff was really important to us to notate all this. Therefore, what's in the notation is the important thing, do you know? Yeah, um, yes yes, and no. I mean, just using your thing of, of ornamentation there, it, historically, like in Baroque times, the ornamentation, we, we were just told to ornament. And it wasn't told how to ornament it precisely, for example. Um, but then, Bill, what happened next? Yeah, afterwards, sure, but not every system that you're going to create is going to be the the same as, you know, if it has hundreds of years of development or is kind of any kind of end stage, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree, I agree. And, like, for this is a thing I learned in from, from doing uh, Baroque music, like, when I was, when I was learning the oboe, uh, you don't phrase across the bar line. You don't, like, slur across the bar line. And that's not written down. It was just, like, that was a stylistic thing that I had to learn because it was assumed. Um, and even even in modern editions of, of Baroque music, it won't give you those phrasings and it won't give you those ornamentations in, more like, modern printings of them. Hmm. I didn't know that. Is that a specific to the oboe thing? I don't know. I remember something like that coming up in, in an oboe lesson that I had. Um, wow. That, like, it's in, for whatever reason, like, or maybe it was just in, in, in this particular piece, but, you know, mm. the 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 phrasing starts at the start of the bar. I'm sure there are, like, you know, upbeats and things where you would change that, but as a general rule, in, in the body of whatever I was playing, it was like, you, you, you know, you, you tongue at the start of the bar. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, I wonder if that is related to maybe wind instruments because I don't remember, and I, I did, I quite like playing Baroque music yeah. when I was in college and I don't remember that being a thing, mm. but like, again, we were it, playing Maybe it was specific to the dance form I was doing or something, but... Could be, you know. could be, yeah, could be. Um, so so that's that's some thoughts that I've had on those ages. Just because, again, I, I've mm-hmm. a couple of instances I've seen people kind of like, just like do a pastiche of Western art music notation. And it's kind of like, that's not how it must mm-hmm. necessarily work. Um, and I guess, I, I guess the sort of the take home point is to those people, uh, I would be like, it, it just, yeah, it's not a cop out to not have a notation system. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's perfectly valid and happens all the time. Um, 
And yeah, it is something that one can lean into if one, one so desires. Um, the other thing I was going to say was about tuning systems. Here, folks, if you've made it this far, is where it's going to get nerdy. This is this is going to get obtuse, but I really do want to talk to Bill about this. So just, again, you can tune out if, you, if you're like, nah, not for me. Um, sometimes, again, rarely, because not many people venture into this, uh, people uh, say that their um, musical culture has a different tuning system to ours. Mm -hmm. So just for the record, like we use a thing called 12-tone equal temperament in Western music. um, And that's, you know, where you have an octave um, and the space in between that interval, those are are two notes, is divided into 12 equal notes. And we generate all of our tones uh, from that. Um, That is not the only way of doing it. There's multiple different ways of tuning an instrument and getting a set of notes from which music can can come from um and the impression i get from again the 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 few people that have forayed into this uh field it feels like could be wrong but it feels like it's like a i want to make a fictional uh music system it should be different from what we currently do otherwise what's the point therefore let me pick from a list of tuning systems and go they play in this tuning system. Um, and then that's that's the bit of flavor text there. Mm-hmm. And I just, it really, if that's what's happening, and I'm not just misreading stuff, uh, that's not how music works. Uh, and like the type of tuning system one uh, a culture uses heavily influences the type of music that they have, you know? Well, yeah, <laughs> it's foundational yeah. to it. It's foundational to it. Um, so again, just real nerdy stuff. There's, I'll leave a link in the Wikipedia for people who, if you want to investigate more. Um, there's a thing called just intonation, and that's like the air quotes purest way of of tuning music. Um, that works really well, and music sounds really nice in that tuning system. Uh, if you don't ever change keys. Um, if you change keys, it begins to sound pretty out of tune to our ears. Um, and so if you, you, one can't just declare my culture uses just intonation and then you, you know, you write some music in like, um, Ableton or whatever and go, that's in just intonation. It's like, no, they wouldn't have even got to that point because the music system, the, mu- the, 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 the tuning system would break down, uh, for writing such a piece. If that makes sense, Bill. It might break down. Yeah. Depending I mean, on what, I, I, depending on what they explore. Sure, yeah, and I guess it's all very subjective of what you consider to be in tune and out of tune. Um, but yeah, the tuning system will inform what they write. Um, and then there's the the Pythagorean tuning uh, is a whole other thing as well. Um, I'm not going to explain the details of it, but the nuts and bolts of it is that thirds, for those who know what that is, um, are kind of out of tune. Um in this system they sound a bit off to us Uh, and as such it was really useful for musical traditions back in the day that didn't prioritize thirds that thought that thirds were kind of a dissonance and they they harmonize in fourths and fifths or whatever so it worked really well there and so again the tuning system influences the music or it can work, work vice versa as well but it really isn't a case of like look at the wikipedia list of tuning systems and then say in a bit of flavor text they use pythagorean tuning mm-hmm. because that's that's yeah that's just not how it works that has further implications that you will need to account for you can't just that, you can't just say that and then plug whatever in and expect it to be coherent 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and even if you're not writing music, like it, I think still think it's incumbent upon you in the flavor text, then go like, uh, find out what the limitations of the tuning system is and then write that. So like they use a form of Pythagorean tuning, uh, which suits their music really well that harmonizes in fourths and fifths, for example. Like then you're like, oh, okay, cool, right? This person understands, has a reason for choosing this. That's great. But you can't just list it in a stat box somewhere. Like I think that's... um. That's not, not how it works at all. Um, and th- that was my rant. Tuning systems, don't choose them for a list. Notation systems, Western art music notation is not uh, superior to everything else uh, and in fact has many flaws. Don't just blindly emulate it. Look at what other c- cultures do and maybe go for something like that. And on top of that, no no music notation system is not a cop-out. Music is an oral tradition at its heart anyways. Mm-hmm. Yes, Okay. Anything to add? Anything to disagree with vehemently there? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I would say, like, even thinking of it in terms of thirds and fifths is already yeah, making yeah, yeah. certain assumptions. Yeah, and see, this is the orca thing about this, because, like, and again, we talked about how I, I'm never really going to do uh, music world building, because it's like, we're so entrenched in their culture. I, I can't even fathom a world. I'm too close to it. You're too close to it. And um, that doesn't have these intervals. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't function when I don't have, like, thirds, fourths, fifths. Like, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what I would do if I were to build a musical culture, it would always be a sort of, like, um, a, a derivative of what we currently do in the West. Um just because that's what I do it. But then I think that's even more incumbent upon people to just not blindly reflect what's going on in the West because you're already going to naturally be doing it anyways. You should be taking precautions to not like completely ape it with the choices you make. Yeah. Be, be mindful in your world building. Be mindful in your world building. Um, and uh, is there anything else I wanted to say on that i guess it's this minor point and this is really nerdy um along with the like you can't just pick a tuning system from a list i also think that it's not a good idea to pick uh a um equal temperament from a list and i've seen some people i think maybe adam neely might be mildly responsible for propagating this a little bit uh where they go like ah my music culture uses 17 tone equal temperament and that's just a stated fact like, mm-hmm. it's like the question that needs to be asked there is, how does that naturally arise? Like, do we actually get to 17-tone equal temperament uh, outside of, like, modern music academia, basically? Um, and if they get to it, why are they getting to it? Um, does it do anything better? Like, the whole point of us having 12-tone equal temperament is that it, like, relatively well fits a thing called the har- harmonic series mm-hmm. with compromises, but, like, it's it, it does a good enough job that things sound, you know, fairly decent and it irons out the problems that were in previous uh, tuning systems. Um, So there's a reason why we got the 12-tone equal temperament. One can't just declare it's 15-tone equal temperament, it's 31-tone equal temperament. There's like pragmatics there that require like a ton of study to understand what these things are uh, and why they happen and arise. So another reason why I don't think I'll ever do music world building because it's like it's way deeper than people i think give it credit for even if you're just going to write a bit of flavor text it's way way deeper and and even 12 tone equal temperament is a highly kind of technologically 
demanding uh, concept yep. to be yep. able to yep. to divide evenly like that. It 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 is pretty close to a lot of historical things, but it is a very modern concession and compromise. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my random uh, music world building. <laughs> thoughts I, I don't think anyone's still listening bill so uh, <laughs> shall we shall we bid the zero listeners adieu <laughs> uh th- thank you very much to chat um for hanging out with us earlier i know you're all gone now um <laughs> um yeah thanks chat uh i echo bill sentiments um thanks for joining us thanks for listening thanks for supporting so on patreon we will see you next month for the christmas pub quest and then thereafter for uh, i guess media review <laughs> in the in the new year um yeah have a great time and on till next time edgar, edgar out, out.